rather uh, strong and uh, wonderful heartfelt response <coughs> to a particular situation. And we have felt in the aftermath of that contact, that uh, connection, very warm feelings exuding from uh, within ourselves. And there is a very tangible feeling of body, of sensation, of heart and experience. And there is a, a response. And that, in that response, we, we want to the warmth of that generating from ourselves can sometimes come very deep within ourselves towards something which is around us. And we have seen too what in our makeup, in our in the world that we live in, tremendous amount of emphasis is given negatively of course in the art the various forms of creativity to the significance in the place of romanticism. The story, the heart-touching stories of people's lives and the way people have, and we continue to have touch and contact with each other, and it touches something of that which one calls romance. We also have experienced too not only that feeling and that sense being generated towards a particular uh, individual in a rather classical way between uh, genders, but also the same kind of response can occur in other situations as well. <coughs> it can occur in the field of creativity it itself. It can occur through a particular activity which we love to be involved in, love to be uh, participating in. And it also occurs, of course, as well with place as well. And some of you and perhaps have that same feeling that I do in coming here to India and returning here regularly. There's some feeling for this place and the diversity, and the sheer multiplicity of this country touches something very deep inside of one, oneself. And I notice, rather to my uh, surprise, that when I stepped on off the plane about uh, six or seven days ago on arriving uh, in India, without any prior cognition, without a, a thought, the, the word home just came out of my mouth. I thought I'd just come from there, but perhaps I have two homes. So, again, in situations, those places which have, for a whole variety of m a myriad number of reasons in life, have touched us, have touched us very, very deeply, and we feel this connection with, we feel this contact with. <coughs> when we experience this, we sometimes, and I think perhaps rather unfortunately, sometimes in spiritual life, there's a kind of almost, I think, patronizing, condescending um, attitude towards being romantic with life. And, the, and we sometimes have received from various uh, sources and authority figures some, a kind of communication to us 
uh, in the field of discipline, which is important, of course, in the field of austerity, of letting go, of doing without, all of these are significant and invaluable spiritual messages. But it would be rather a tragedy, I think, for us, and a great loss of our, for our heart, if in all of that which is demanded of us, and which we demand of ourselves, we also lose something of the romantic in life. In situations, and situations like uh, retreats, <coughs> there's, in the silence of things, remarkable and un unusual, exceptionally unusual opportunity for the feelings of heart and for the movement of the romantic mind to take place in such a gatherings as here. And sometimes I have noticed or I have wondered whether, in fact, I'm uh, running a retreat or a partner-forming agency, <coughs> because it's not at all um, unusual where men and women are sharing the same space and spending the same uh, time together, but it, it, it infuses, it, it, it brings out this sense of closeness and intimacy and connectedness. But what very easily and frequently happens, of course, is that the capacity of the romantic tends to become very defined. And I want us to look not only at the defined form of what, it, of what romantic is, but to go into it so deeply one discovers something else through the romantic spirit rather than against the, the flow of it. So, as I say, at times, there's that movement of heart, and the movement of heart focuses, it particularizes on another person, generally persons sometimes, and sometimes several towards the same person. I think the record on a retreat, incidentally, is 12 towards one person, but anyway, <laughs> the others wouldn't confess to me who they were interested in. And so sometimes there is this movement of the heart which is taking place. That movement of the heart isolates, it particularizes, it focuses upon somebody. And in that expression, that expansion towards a person, easily, easily, fixation starts. And where there is that fixation which takes place in that form, the mind from the feeling which has ensued, which has been brought out of one's heart, a beautiful feeling of life. The mind then begins to use the feeling to make an interpretation of what's occurring. It begins to weave together a kind of mosaic of a relationship which is dreadfully and sometimes painfully all one-sided, and the other person hasn't got a clue. <laughs> whatever he or she is on the receiving end of. So the feeling that is there, the, the heart is there, the warmth is there, all the beautiful things of life is there, but the mind takes its step and begins to analyse the situation. It begins to perceive what isn't present. It begins to take formations and look at those formations as some kind of indication it's a two-way street. 
any other person mildly going around their meditation all day, sitting and walking, has no idea that this is going on. I wonder, can we just experience that kind of uh, response without all the extra? Just recently, in the uh, Insight Meditation Center in Barry, in Massachusetts, which uh, has a reputation uh, for um, being a bit of a powerhouse for meditation and has retreats ranging through the year from a week long to the, the three month uh, retreat. <coughs> and <coughs> the, um, the, the folk singer, much loved by some of us, still romantic I see, and that is uh, Leonard Cohen, who sends some of his friends down to IMS to do re retreats with uh, Shadra and I and uh, other teachers, describes IMS as the, the boot hill of meditation retreat centers. Those of you who are boot hill, boot camp, as you said. Um, those of you who have, it's where the Marines get trained. <laughs> <laughs> and during the three months retreat, this is a very, very typical kind of situation with a slight diversion to it. One of the, the women came to Joseph Goldstein, the teacher of that three month retreat. <coughs> and she said to him, Joseph, I'm doing this uh, retreat, but I constantly feel the presence of a particular man on the retreat, and it's making me feel quite uncomfortable. It's disturbing my uh, retreat. And I've just come here for my solitude and my you know, silence and stillness of things. And this person keeps passing me by, behind me in the food queue, shoes, <laughs> <are t> <laughs> <laughs> shoes are together outside the meditation hall. <laughs> All of these things that you'll be familiar with already. And, sh and she said, it just makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. So Joseph said, well, who is this person? She described him. And the person, the man, is a, a friend of <coughs> mine. And came to Joseph, and Joseph explained the situation to him, and he said, Joseph, honestly, I know nothing about it. It's, I, honestly, I don't even know the woman you are talking about. If there was something going on, I was feeling attraction, and I was kind of m making it so that I got close to this person in different ways, he said to him, Joseph, I would tell you, I wouldn't hesitate to tell you. And knowing this person is a friend, I um, believe whatever, a moment of doubt. So Joseph said to him, look, it might be uh, appropriate or better. If I'll tell you who the person, the, the woman is, and for her welfare and for her comfort, to keep some distance from, from her so that she can relax into the retreat. It's, you know, it's a three-month retreat and you know, it's intensive and rigorous. And the person said, of course, no problem. A week later, <laughs> the woman came back. She said, Joseph, this person is still <laughs> very close. Shoes are still outside next to my meditation. Walking, keep walking in out of the hall. He said, it's, it's still going on. And then Joseph said, I'll get him back. Brought him back to his uh, room 
famous M101 of uh, AMS, and said to him, look, this person is very disturbed, and what do you think about it? So the person said, well, would you describe to me, Joseph, what she's wearing today, the clothes that she is wearing today? And Joseph described, and the person said, he said, oh my God, I've been avoiding the wrong woman. <laughs> So, in this phenomenal uh, world of retreats and, and silences which take place in, in uh, retreats, contacts and connections get made, friendships uh, are formed, the romantic element takes place. But, as I say, sometimes within that there's a kind of definition which can take place. There's the interest and the attraction which can take place. And I say all of that is also, also human. A lot of uh, uh, school, shall we say, which may be in other traditions, which is in other traditions, and sometimes is appropriately spoken of about avoiding eye contact. And some schools are very, very strict with us, and I and teachers who work with me, we never speak uh, in this way. But when there is momentary eye contact in, in situations like this, does that eye contact, does whatever may take place through that momentary happening, is that being used to build? Is it being used to build, to build up on? Can there be a warm and expansive heart in these situations to ourselves, to each other, to persons or persons who interest us for various reasons, yet it's not a building mechanism that's going on because that building mechanism is subject to a terrible collapse and, de and decline and therefore pain. Pain is the collapse of what has been built up. That is what emotional pain is. That is what psychological pain is. And a free human being, a realized human being, knows intimately, intimately what building is because building is collapsing. Can we live a life without that and be romantic? <coughs> Sometimes, and for some of you, of course, heart has been touched by other men and women of past and present. Some of you in this hall today, I know, have been sitting here and have been and are, and probably during this talk as well, dwelling on relationships the issue of human relationships. Many uh, a person has said to me and has certainly has said to, to themselves, my life would be fine, I'd be a free, happy, contented human being if I didn't have to deal with other people. If I, if I didn't have any relationships with other people, then none of life would be a wonderful life. But human beings do contact with each other. There is that impact and that touch and that uh, exploration. And there is the, what we call, very important word here, the forming of relationships. It takes form relationships. That form of the relationship can be, as I say, with a person in a romantic way. That form of relationship can be with a, uh, a spiritual teacher. That form of a relationship can be with a friend. It can be 
with a, a body of exploration, it can be with a, a country, it can be with the nature or whatever. But simply because one forms the relationship and it emerges and it begins to flower, what flowers wilts, what, what takes substance and, and matters to us in our life, by the very circumstances of life, gives no assurance of continuity. And somewhere, what is it that goes on when we feel a love for somebody? We feel a love for something or a, or a place or whatever. What is it in that formation which you and I participate in every day of our lives that adds to it such a way that we take the arising of it, we take the delight, the pleasure, the warmth, and we find we can't cope with the collapse with its passing. What has gone on in that movement of the romantic inside of us? And is it therefore any wonder that sometimes some human beings have lost the sense of that, lost the sense of what the poets and the artists and the deeply uh, and sincerely creative people keep reminding us of in many, many different ways, that there's been such disappointment in life, such sadness through love, through connectedness, that the person feels unwilling or unable for herself or himself to even let that feeling flow to even share, to even expose oneself to that warmth because the memories crowd in with alarming regularity and say, I don't, I can't do this, I can't allow that because then there'll be sorrow and pain at the end of it. And then that deeper romantic thing of life can, not altogether, but it can dry up in a human being and we lost something wonderful. I wrote a uh, uh, poem, I'm prone to writing poems, and I certainly hope that uh, many, of, many of you here make time and opportunity in your life for the multiple ways that heart and creativity can uh, express itself. And I think a wise life in all of this, a very profoundly wise life, and remember these teachings are uh, uh, teachings out of a wisdom tradition. There's a wisdom tradition here, and it's very important to uh, remember that. And that sometimes in the movement of the heart, and in the very formation which takes place, the warmth, the love, the connectedness, the, the, the friendship, the wisdom is the acknowledgement from beginning through to end, from start to finish, of forming and dissolving, coming together and passing away. And I don't think that the passing away of things, the dissolution of connections, of formations, has to mean suffering. It just means it's a revelation of change to us and perhaps one of the most clear reminders in life that love itself never ever caused pain to anybody on this earth. Love never caused pain, being romantic with life and in life never cause the suffering. It's the desire force that does that. It's the dependency, it's the possessiveness, it's the fears, it's the jealousy and the holding. And love is something which is 
not to that order of self or ego. So then maybe if I may, I'd like to read you uh, two poems here. <coughs> One is about beginnings, and the other is about endings, and perhaps in a very small way, it's a very clear reminder to you and I as we pass through our life and the formations of the heart which takes place in our life, a wise life, an enlightened life, a realized life, says, let me acknowledge both deeply. This is the beginning. It's about a, a train uh, journey. I want to add very quickly here, it's not the last train journey I took, because there are several friends on it. <laughs> it's called Parallel Lines. It's a romantic poem, a romantic text. We had forgotten ourselves, two guardians of the night, in that ease, entering timeless becoming, while the moon reflects this ambience, as fingers bestowed an exclusive whisper. The night sped on with only passing inspectors, here betrothed tunnels and sweet parallel lines, somewhere converging upon aromas signals. Her impressed closeness upon this trembling nerve, where depths meet this unknown swerve. Nothing had been expected, this fortuitous touch. Their journey proclaimed this resting place, where heartbeats announce point of arrival. Her damp lips had filled his empty cup. Unexpectedly, her boldness caressed his pulse, parallel lines meeting upon no return. His uncertainty dispelled upon the skiff, her encircled passion pressed him to love's night, the ocean's music, late hours, and love's timeless flight. And many of you, I'm sure, in the journey of life and the travel of life can and do and remember and acknowledge in sight of oneself times and moments of life which have been as the heart and love go, quite magical. And can that magic of being touched with life, whether it's person to person, person to place, person to environment, can that be there and say, yes, it's there, and yes, it isn't when it isn't. <coughs> so that there is a, a sense in all of that of um, unshakably free in its presence and in its absence. This is one on endings. All those who are familiar with the arisings of these situations in your life, well, many of you will be familiar with the ending, and if you are not familiar with the ending, you might be in the future. It's called Departed Lover. What is this ending? This collapsed story that marks the revelation of unrest in the gathered momentum of her disappearance. She forgot to guard their solitude, thus need strangle the occurring love, and where vision of the unusual faded in the dawning of discontent. No loss, au revoir to this time of finite spaces, their moment belongs to the train of history. Her beauty is lost among the spectators. She has departed their magical island. She has responded to a wave from a passing ship. 
no matter. Her name dissolves into the mists of infinite spaces. So you see, sometimes in our relating to life and to the imperative, shall we say, of the heart and in the relationship to the world that you and I participate in, there's something of love which matters. I don't think there's personal love and social love and egotistical love and spiritual love, rather than put it into any of those categories. What is this love? What is it that sometimes, in the moment of the day, unexpectedly, something happens inside where some appreciation begins to fuse the world that we live in? That we might pass through this day and through the activities of our day, and it seems a rather ordinary, unexpected, un no, uninteresting, nothing going on, just doing the routine of existence. And certainly that can be taking place in a retreat, obviously. It can be taking place outside of a, a retreat. And so some small occurrence, and that momentary occurrence seems to alight something within. Something sparks inside of us and we feel something for this life. For a person, for a situation, for a flower, for a tree, for the evening sunset, for the food, for a moment, for a shared event. Something is lit inside of us. Could that moment of, of being lit within have some relationship to being enlightened? Are these two things so separate and divorced from each other? Are we going to spend our life and our days spellbound in methodology and technique and, and lose ourselves in that, lose that heartfulness in all of that, rather than saying the silence of things and the stillness of things is an opportunity for the maximization of receptivity to that light which is born of enlightenment. And I say here that we, very precious and really wonderful way, have that. We have that opportunity. So sometimes when the romantic feeling is there, sometimes we can look at tradition and we can smile at the force of tradition. And I remember, and I'm sure the monk here won't mind me telling uh, a monk's story for uh, a moment, and fortunately it's not typical of uh, many monks who are uh, in love with life and the movement of life as anybody else on this earth. But one of the stories which has been passed down from one generation of monks to another, for the last 14 or 1500 years this story has been circulating through and it brings for many of us a kind of wry smile and it's a story, I think it took place in Sri Lanka when two monks in the morning time were making their early morning arms round. And that's a tradition of said in a life of utter simplicity and I think the life of monks and nuns is a very 
profound reminder, incidentally, to you and I about the value of austerity and simplicity. These two monks were taking their morning walk on the arms round, and then suddenly a very beautiful woman came running down the, the track between the, the rice paddies and gave the monks a huge morning smile and must bring as much joy as the, the, the new day. And then a little while later, a young man came running down the same road. And the monks, one of the monks, rather serious monks, doing his arms round and walking rather seriously, and the young man said to the monk, did you see a very beautiful woman <laughs> just running down the road a few minutes ago? And this rather severe monk looked up at the young man and said, No, I just saw a set of teeth go by. It was one of the most tragic stories I ever heard in six years as a monk. <laughs> so I much prefer with one of um, my, one of the assistant teachers when I was a monk in the monastery. So I had such a different and I felt a much more refreshing attitude to spiritual life, awareness and appreciation and the romantic element. We would go on the begging round in the morning in the south of Thailand. And as is customary for those of you who have been there, the monks um, walk single file. We have the, the begging bowl in uh, front. And under the tradition, one um, is only allowed to stand in front of uh, the village home, the house in the village, for a few seconds, and then to move on to the next house. With the, the trust, of course, and the historical uh, line there of uh, receiving the alms food. <coughs> So one day, <coughs> before we set out on the begging ground, one of the um, monks asked the, the assistant teacher, one of the uh, senior monks, he said, sometimes when I am, I am walking, and I have the begging bowl, I don't look up, as is the tradition, but sometimes I can just see the ankles, and I can tell immediately this is a young woman there. He said, should I just keep looking in my begging bowl? <laughs> Or, or should I have a quick look? <laughs> I mean, you know, the peace of mind for years can rest on the answer to these questions. So he said, the second, and I thought, good on you, quick look. So monks would take their walk, take their, take their walk and look, and then the line of heads would go up. <laughs> I'd go down and carry on our way. This is romantic monk's life. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so in our <coughs> feelings and in our connections, there's the place of love. <coughs> Wonderful land. Every religion and then every measure of deep spirituality has acknowledged to the fullest degree possible the place and the relevance of this in life. For the emotional and psychological, physical welfare of human beings, for the kindnesses and the welfare and the support of other human beings, for all of life, that love itself has an invaluable place to play in all of this. 
invaluable place. And what is asked of us and what the, the wisdom tradition asks of us and what the Buddhist has asked, asked of us as he asked of himself. That this kindness, this love, this care, this appreciation, let it be, he says, without measure. Let us live this life with an immeasurable heart. Immeasurable. And sometimes I notice for myself in the years of um, meditative life, and notice too with uh, others, and I hear this beautifully and wonderfully, that sometimes, quite spontaneously, we kind of forget ourselves in meditation, and meditation is the paradox of remembering ourselves and forgetting ourselves. And sometimes in that self-forgetfulness, that when attention quite spontaneously opens and expands outward, and one feels a certain almost romantic intensity in a situation like this. People together, sharing and being together in this living generation right now, there's something really delightful and sweet about it all. Preciously sweet. And in the precious sweetness uh, of that, it's as though, and it is, that our own personal storyline, our personal issues of life, seem very minor because there is a sweetness coming through. And that sweetness holds us together in some very fragrant way. Don't leave this retreat without that sweetness. Don't be worried about the formalities of meditation method and technique and the instructions, though they are helpful and invaluable. There's something else which we're probing for, something else which we're um, inculcating a receptivity to, and that receptivity to is the very sweetness <coughs> is of that enlightened human nature. The very child of that enlightenment. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live with love. Let us have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please?